we're celebrating a season of change, and some of you want that change to happen a lot faster, but it's okay. Uh, you know, I've been talking about the heat, you know, and how hot it is. Can I just say I like the heat compared to what we saw, the cold? I like it hot more than cold. But I want to welcome for your guests here. Uh, we're the uh, Lighthouse Church of Christ, and, and today we're talking about a season of change. And uh, it's great to be back with you. Last week we had our, our uh, park services and house churches. And I just want to lift up a few of our preachers because we've got some in the house. They're just members like you and I. But they uh, stood and, and gave lessons last week. And I was just inspired to hear what they said. Tate Burns gave one. Marty Ardron gave one. There's a number of people who did in the park services. And so uh, if ever I'm not here, we've got plenty of people to take take my spot in the park and all over. Uh, but I just wanted to share a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to go be with my family and my wife's family. Wanted to show you a family picture just from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, these are my, uh, my two brothers and my sister. One sister wasn't there and my cousins. This is my mom and dad uh, right here. And uh, my dad's 88. My mom's 85. And uh, these are my cousins. We grew up together. They're like brother and sister because we were always together as far as I can remember. Uh, this is my oldest brother, Nick. This is my sister, Carmen, my brother, George. Talking about a season of change. Uh, I haven't seen some of them in two years. My oldest brother, Nick, I haven't seen him in two years. Uh, can I just be open? Things have changed. Okay. Uh, he's, he's got some health problems. And, and uh, you know, Definitely saw my, my dad is, uh, haven't seen him uh, probably in a year since I saw him and he's moving around in a walker right now and that was pretty intense to see, you know, uh, like it or not, things are changing for us uh, and, 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 and the way we want to look at it here in church is we want to embrace the change, Right? And so what we're going to talk about today is for our church, the Lighthouse Church of Christ, we've been really talking uh, amongst the, sa the staff and the elders about redefining who we are as a church. Uh, a couple people approached me, members of the church approached me, and they say, so, so who are we really? I remember who we were before, but, but now who are we? What are we about? What's our identity? I know we're the Lighthouse Church of Christ, but what's our identity? And so with those comments that were coming to me, I said, you know, we got, we got to make it a lot clearer. We got to clarify who we are as a church and what we're about. Any question about companies that we uh, see advertise what they're about? No, it's usually pretty clear. But for us as a, as a church and as, as followers of Jesus, what we're about needs to be really super clear. It needs to be concise. And so that's what we're going to be rolling out. It's a season of change, and it's not, I don't think, anything new, but I think it's something that we can renew. You know, we just watched in that intro video, a year in one minute. Isn't that intense? What happens in a whole year? And probably leave out the part with the snow here in Southern California. You got the, you got the brown, uh, you got the green, and then you get the brown again, right? No white. Just brown, green, brown, right? But the cooler green is coming, and we pray for a lot of green, right? A lot of water for the green. But things change. 
And why does God allow all that change in nature? Because he's always trying to renew nature. And a lot of times you and I don't like change, do we? We want things to be the same. In fact, I can just look here in the audience, and, and if you're a guest here today, I'm, this is a conversation I'm having with our members, and you get to look behind the curtain, the big black one here. You get to see what's behind the curtain, but a lot of our members like to sit in the same spot. It's like, this is my spot, and this is a Jewish synagogue, and if you notice here in the front rows, they've got name tags there. Now, we, we, we rent the facility, we, but they have name tags. That's where those people sit. You try to sit in somebody's spot, hey, it's my spot. See, my name's on the spot. We don't do that as a church, okay? We don't do that. But some of us like to sit in the same spot, and that's okay. But that says something about us, don't we? Like the same shoes, like same looks, I'm, you know, things. My wife tells me this. She says, hey, why are you wearing that? Because I like it. It doesn't look good on you. <laughs> but I like it. It feels comfortable. She says, don't wear that anymore. Only in the house can you wear that. So you get what I'm saying, right? Guys, you get what I'm saying. We don't like change. We like things the same. And God is saying, listen, change is what I'm about. And if you're here today as a guest and you came because you want change, you've come to the right place. And, and I believe God really wants to bring about change. So this new identity, or it, it's a renewed identity. It's not new, but we're going to renew our identity. So I want to share with you this morning our vision statement as a church. And this has taken about six months of prayer and discussion and who are we, what are we about, who do we want to be. So you ready for our vision statement? It's real easy to remember. Three L's. Three L's. You ready? Here it comes. That's the picture, fam. Love God, live change, light the way. This is our vision statement as a church. This is who we want to be, the three L's. This is our identity. This is what we want to be about as a church. And so today, I'm, I'm going I'm to break this down for you. We could, we could spend six months on these three phrases here, but we're just going to spend one day. And then in two weeks, we're going to be looking at our mission statement as a church. But I don't want you to just look at this as head knowledge. I, I really want to encourage you to look at this as, this is who I want to be. This is what I want to be about. Because from, from looking at the scriptures, these are the most important things that God has pressed upon us as followers of Jesus. And we start here with this whole idea, love God. You know, there was an expert in the law. He came to Jesus and he asked a question. And it's been quoted as the greatest question ever asked. And do you know why it was the greatest question ever asked? Because it had the biggest ramification. He said, teacher, let's go ahead and, and, and grab it. Teacher, Mark, 1 verse, uh, Mark 12, verse 28 one of the teachers, another version says, an expert, a lawyer in the law, came and heard them debating, noticing Jesus gave and had given them a good answer. He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important. Do you know how many commandments the Jews were following at this time? More than 640 laws 
that they were responsible for, for doing. And, and this lawyer, he says, okay, let's see if I can stump Jesus. Of the 640, what's the most important? Give it to me, Jesus. How, how do you boil it down? What do, you, what do you see as the most important question? And why is this question so important? Because these people believed in the afterlife, that there was life after death. Do you know that most Americans believe in life after death? There are some who don't. And some of us can ask that question, what's going to happen? You know, when I was with my family and my dad's, you know, tooling around in his walker, I'm watching. I'm watching him walk in a walker, and I'm 51, and I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, is this a foreshadow of my future? I mean, I could do the math. He's 88, I'm 51, time is moving ahead. And it'll happen like that. And so what happens? And we lose loved ones. We, we, people die around us at, at, at an early age, an older age, and we ask that question, so what's going to happen after I die? Because life is short. I mean, it's hard for me to look at the back and go, man, I'm already 51, and it's going to happen fast, and my life's going to be over. So I don't want to wrap my life and my existence around this life when God is promising us eternal life. So that's why this question is so big, because he's asking, of all the commandments, what's the one? What's the one to make sure that I'm in a good standing with God? That's what I want to know. I want to know what is it I need to do to be in a right relationship with God. And so I don't know what your position is, but I want to give you hope because this is what Jesus, Jesus came to share his followers, this promise. Look in John 14, and then we'll come back to Mark 12. It says, Mark, uh, John 14, verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Troubled about what? About what's going to happen if I die? You know, and, and we're dealing with, with, with tragedy. You know, today marks the anniversary of, of Michael and Jennifer's daughter passing. Where is she? Where will I go? Where will you go? That's a huge question, isn't it? It is the biggest question you will ever face in your life. Jesus gives us assurance to those who follow him. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. What's Jesus saying with this? There's an afterlife. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Because life is short. It's brief. You know, if you, you really look back and you think, man, I, I don't know how many of you saw this movie a long time ago, A Bug's Life, you know, and they had the, the gnats that were going around, and they're 24 hours. They had 24 hours to live it up, and they're gone. In the span of eternity... You and I aren't that much different. We think, and especially younger people, think we're going to be here forever. No, we're not. Some people are taken too soon. 
But Jesus is assuring us. He's saying, listen, here's the answer to your question. Number one, there's an afterlife, and I'm preparing a place for you if you follow me there. And that's why what we do as a church is so important. That's why who we are as followers of Jesus is so important because we are about the biggest question that people have about their life. What's going to happen to me after this is over? And so we'll go back to the question, the big question. Where do I stand with God? Am I right with him? That's why that question, of all the commandments, of all the things that are in this book right here, this this Bible, what Moses taught, what the prophets taught, what the apostles taught, what is the most important thing? Can we narrow it down? And he says it. Mark 12, verse 29 and 30. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And these are four different parts of our body and our existence, right? We could break each one down, but what's Jesus getting at? How should I love God? With everything. With all that I have, with all that I am. If you do that, then you're going to be in a good standing with God and you will be with him for eternity. This is huge. This is a huge, huge deal right here. But as you and I know, love can't be a feeling, right? It has to be purposed. It has to be intentional. It has to be planned. And it has to be action, right? How many people have told you that they loved you and you looked at their life and you looked at their actions and you go, uh-uh, I, 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 don't, I don't believe it. This was a church. And see, a lot of times in church we think, oh, yeah, I'm here at church and I love God, right? This is a church that thought they loved God. And a letter was written to them. The church in Ephesus. And, and you know the amazing thing about the church in Ephesus? This church was known for their hard work, for their patience, persistence. They hated sin, and they endured suffering. A lot of good qualities. But look at what the letter says. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. Whoa. Are they obeying the first commandment? Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Let me just say this at the outset to the members of our church. Be careful with assuming that you love God because you feel it. Love is not about a feeling, although it is, but it's not limited to that. Love has to be something that you do. And there's also a reciprocator. The church thought that they loved God, right? And the Pharisees, who Jesus was talking to, thought that they loved God. But what's God saying to the church in Ephesus? You don't love me. In fact, you've forsaken 
You've, you've rearranged the relationship. You've got some other things that you love more than me. So are they obeying the first commandment? Could they put that on their vision statement as a church? The Ephesus church love God. But they probably needed to put it there. But guess what? So do we. And so please, you know, look at your newsletter. On the very front of your newsletter, right below the word newsletter, do you know what it says right there? Our vision statement. And the very first one is love God. I want to encourage you not to assume that you do. Here's something that I learned this summer. I got to give a shout out to Joe and Sandy because they did this lesson for us, okay, over the summer. Let me just say... This was just the beginning, okay, because I've been married 25 years, going on 26. I learned in this book what my wife needs the most. You know what she needs the most? Love. Now, if you ask me, okay, come over and ask me and say, hey, Peter, do you love Laura? You know what I would say? Absolutely. But I'm not the one you need to ask. Who do you need to ask if I love Laura? That book showed me that. See, we walk around and we think, oh, I love God and I love so-and-so. You don't need to ask. We don't need to ask you if you love. We need to ask. And what this book showed me, I can say I love Laura. I can bring flowers and cards. And I, we, we went through the book and we're still going through the book. Just want you to know I'm still going through the book. I got a lot to work on in this area of loving her not from what I think is love, but what, for, what she feels. And let me, let me, can I tell you something? I asked her, Laura, do you feel loved by me? You ready for the answer? Oh, yes, tell us the answer. I know you guys. <laughs> tell us the answer. Our minister, tell us the answer. I'm going to be real with you guys. You know what she said? Sometimes. And the, you know what the reality is? It's true. Because there's times where I'm impatient with her. There's times when I'm insensitive to her. There's times when I'm disconnected from her and I'm preoccupied with other things. You know what she doesn't feel during those times? Love. And you know what I realized? I got to change i got to learn how to love from her perspective. So don't ask me if I love my wife. Ask her if I love my wife. See, I've had brothers tell me all over the place that I love my wife. And I've, we, I do marriage counseling too. And, and, and they, they say, but I love my wife. Say, no, you don't. You don't love your wife because she doesn't feel love from you. You know what she feels from you? She feels other stuff that goes against love. So as a church, do you love God? Can you say that? If you're a guest here today, can you say that you love God? Really? I don't, I don't think we need to ask you. You know who we need to ask? We need to ask God. When's the last time you asked God? 
do you, do you feel loved by me? Man, when I, when, I, when I was going through this lesson, I really had to stop and ask, when's the last time that I asked this question of God in prayer? Waiting for an answer. God, what is it that I need to change so you will feel loved by me? What is it you want me to work on? Because I know he would probably say the same thing that Laura said sometimes. And there's other times where I don't. What are those other times that you don't feel loved by me? So I want to encourage you as members, if you're a guest, you're listening in, you can take it or leave it, what we're saying today. But for our members, I want to implore you to ask this question of God in prayer. And you wait for the answer. And here's how you're going to get the answer. You're going to be reading, and it's going to jump off the page at you. Because I believe God is so, so faithful. Man, I read and I go, whoa, this is a little too close to home. This is exactly what I need to hear. This is an area of my life that needs to change. This is something that, attention that needs to go away. So do you love God? Does does he feel your love? And, And let's look at a laundry list of things that we associate with church, okay? Is this love? Okay, and, and you go ahead and answer, give, give a little audience participation. Attending church, is this love? So you guys are afraid of a trick question, okay? <laughs> Don't be afraid, okay? Go ahead and say it. Attending church, is this love? Yes. Obeying the Bible, is this love? Yes. Giving a tithe, giving back to God so he can use it for furthering of his work around the world and here locally, is this love? Helping the poor, is that love? Obeying your parents, teens, college students, adults, is this love? A moral lifestyle, is that love? Sharing your faith, yes. Prayer times, you and God alone, going on an Ezekiel, or on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a prayer walk, a, Jer- a Jericho walk that we did Friday night. Wow, it was awesome. Thank you, Singles Ministry, for putting that together. Is that, was the Jericho walk, love for God? Absolutely. It was awesome. Your personal Bible study, getting to know God, history of his people and his word and how it, paying your taxes, is that love for God? Are you sure? Check it out. There's a lot of controversy. If you ever want to know where God stands on this, Take a look, all right? I'll let you answer that question. All right, now here's the challenge. The Jews of the first century had 640 laws. This is 10, and we could keep going. We could keep going with this long list. This is just just like an example. There's more, but this is an example. This list could be really long. Imagine a list of 640 plus laws and commandments. And some of the good ones did most of them, if not all of them. But Jesus came and confronted them. He says, you guys do all of this. Is it love? And you know what the answer was? It's not. 
because you're doing all of this for you so you can feel good about yourself. This isn't in a relationship. See, this was a one-way street. I do all these things and more, and so I'm in a good standing with God. But you don't do it in relationship, in the context of a relationship. And I hope that you're here today at church because you want to do this for God. Not so you can say to your parents, I came to church. Not so you can say to somebody else, I went to church, checked a box. I'm here. I feel better about myself. You know, do you know that I was a young man? I used to go to church so I could feel better about myself. Didn't have anything to do with God. I felt better. That was me and me. It wasn't me and God. And so whatever we do, whether it's any of this stuff, is this love, you got to ask that question, are you doing it for God with him in mind? Are you doing it for yourself so you can feel good about yourself? And some of you are here guests and you say, well, that's why I don't go to church. And that's why I don't associate because I love God differently. And that, that doesn't solve the problem either. I mean, it's just that much more obvious that you don't love God. You say, well, you can't judge me. You can't judge whether I love God or not. Oh, yes, I can. I can judge you because you can judge me. We can judge each other. We can look at each other and say, you know, a parent who doesn't spend time with his children doesn't love his children. Isn't that right? A dad who's not paying child support for his child when he has the money to pay for the child, does he love his child? We can draw judgment all day long, and we do it. It's obvious. A husband who doesn't engage with his wife and love his wife and has another affair going on, there's no way, and you and I can see it clearly, he doesn't love his wife. So why don't you ask yourself the honest question? God, do you feel loved by me? And let him answer. Okay, so that's the first one. And we spent most of the time because it's the most important of everything we do as a church. Everything we do as a church, we got to make sure it's motivated by love. And we do it in a relationship. I'm so proud of all of our teachers that help our children, and they get here earlier than you do. They get here at 8.30 in the morning, and they're tired, but they do it because they love our children and they love God. They do it in a relationship, and so that's what we want. Let's go to number two, live change. This is important too, live change. You know, when you become a Christian, you follow Jesus, it's not a one-time deal. I got baptized, I repented of all my sins, I changed my ways, and I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. And that's it. You know one of the things that I've learned in the last 30 years? It doesn't stop. Change, change keeps coming. Change is right ahead of us. In fact, God will put us in positions and move our life around so that we will change. So that we're forced to face change in our lives. You know, we talked about this in the beginning, okay? Maybe leave this, this bottom right quadrant out because it's white and snow, but these other two, this is California, these three right here. Brown, green, brown. This all happens in the span of one year. Why does God do this in nature? Why does he do that? Why is change all around us? 
We, we miss it. We, we don't even take notice of it. Why, does, why in nature is there so much change, seasons? Why? Because God's trying to renew his creation. And some of us resist change. I don't like change. You need to change. See, if you don't change, you're not going to experience renewal. And you know who is the agent of change, the greatest agent of change when you're a follower of Jesus? Any idea? The Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. You know, my dad has arthritis in his hip, bone on bone. He's got arthritis in his knee. And him and I have the exact same stature. You know how scary this is, the scripture? I felt a pain in my hip last week. And I started thinking about my dad, and I'm going, man, I'm, I'm wasting away. And it was just a muscular thing, but you know how your mind does stuff? Yeah. It went away a couple days later, and, and I'm good, you know, but it's, it's, and we are getting older, guys. So I students, you guys, you know, I'm going to talk, you guys over here, we're, we're getting older. Things don't work the way they used to. And it can be discouraging, right? But what Paul's saying here is, although outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we can be renewed. Meaning the changes that you can make, God can take your weaknesses and, and turn them into strengths. I want to share with you a verse. I don't know that I've ever shared it in a sermon before because it's about a guy who did some really bad things. And he's got a really bad rap in the Bible. But I, I'm so inspired by this verse because it wasn't that way in the beginning of this, this man in the Bible. His name is Saul, and he persecuted David. And he's, he's known in history as a bad king, but it didn't start out that way. You know, and, and I, I look at Saul and how he started out, and, and there's a prophecy that Samuel said about Saul. And he said, Saul... God's going to come on you, and he's going to do something special. Look at this in 1 Samuel 10, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Samuel saying this to Saul, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into what? Say it with me. What? You mean the Spirit of God can change me into a different person? That's what Samuel was saying to Saul. And it wasn't just Saul. David was changed into a different person. The prophets were changed into different people. The followers of Jesus, the apostles, how do you explain Peter who, you know, was, was you know, a coward before a middle school girl and then he turned into this powerhouse person who wasn't afraid of anyone or anything? Who changed him into a different person? The Holy Spirit. Who can change you into a different person? Are you frustrated with yourself? Do you get frustrated with yourself? I do. 
But here's the encouraging news. Look at this verse. I love this verse. Romans 8, verse 11. It says, in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of power are we talking about when we talk about the power to raise someone from dead to living again? That's incredible power. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in who? In you. He's living in you, and he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who, he says it again, who lives in who? Who lives in you. What's he saying? The Holy Spirit has the potential to change and transform who you are. Do not get stuck being the same person you are and you've always been. Do not take the bait of our world to saying, that's just the way I am. That's how I am. That's what, that's what the world wants to tell you. They want to basically put you in a box and say, this is who you are because of your upbringing. It's your mom's fault. It's your dad's fault. It's society's fault. It's everybody's fault. And this is who you are. And you will never change. You know what my word, the Bible says, the word of God says to me? The same spirit who took Jesus' dead body and raised it from the dead is in me. What's that say? What's that say about change for us? It says we can be transformed. And can I just be honest with the church again? We're not changing enough. We're not growing enough. Some of us are stuck, and we're not growing. We're not changing, and it's the same kind of problems over and over and over and over again. God's Spirit is in you, and I know you're frustrated with yourself, and you've taken the line where I'm never going to change, and God's grace is enough. No, we, we can change. we got to live change. And I don't care if you've been a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus 40 years like Dave Moss. Is, is God done with Dave Moss yet? But well, we got Jaime and Judy. They've been, what, four weeks, five weeks? Four weeks. Is God done with them yet? Surely not. Is God done with you yet? Absolutely not. There's so much more change in front of us. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. This word transformed means metamorphosis. You want the clearest view of that is when you get a slimy, ugly, fat caterpillar, goes into a cocoon and becomes a butterfly. That's what he's talking about. That's the word that he's using, metamorphosis, a complete change. By the renewing of your minds, then you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will for, God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. What is the world teaching us? Good things? What does the world teach you about your finances? Spend more than you make, right? You get hit that all the time. What does the world teach us about our health? This is something I've been learning a lot about in the last, I don't know, year or so. Do you know what the world is spoon-feeding us about our health? Okay, what to eat, how to eat. The world is teaching us to make ourselves sick. And we'll talk more about this in the future, but it's like, man, this, this is crazy. And, and when it comes to, you know, substance abuse and addictions and things like that, the world says, no, it's okay until you're flat on your back with a problem. 
The world is, is doing a lot of damage to the way we think. And what, what Paul is saying here is the Holy Spirit needs to renew our mind so we can think differently about money, about morality, about how we take care of ourselves, about relationships. All right, so the last one, changing together. This is the last point. You know, there's been studies on this. When you try to uh, get on an exercise program or uh, a diet or a financial plan or even a marriage uh, group, where what happens in groups, you do a lot more changing in groups than you do on your own. Statistically, it's proven when people get in groups, they change versus when they try to do it on their own. Whatever plan. And so what I want to encourage us that we change together. And that's why we have small groups. Small groups are essential to who we are as a church. I can't make changes without people in my life. I can't do it by myself. In fact, this past, this past spring, I did something I never did before. I did a 40-day uh, Daniel fast. Never done anything that long in my whole life. And it was hard because I like food a lot. And the thing I missed the most was coffee. I mean, I was raised on coffee. You know, in the little baby cups? You know, the little sippy cups? You know what my parents used to put in my sippy cup? Coffee with milk. Café con leche. With bread. So I got started real early. Coffee's a big deal to me. And we, I fasted from that. And I was, every morning I'd get up and I'd go. But it helped me because I... I I was able to do the fast with other brothers and sisters. And we encouraged each other. And we helped each other. And we did it together. See, that's just a small version. And and, and so many things, that statistically proven studies, they've done so many studies. When you do things in groups, it's powerful. You do it together. You encourage each other. Even if you fail and fall, your group helps you to get back up. Last one, light the way. Light the way. Who are we as a church? We call ourselves the lighthouse. Why? You know, and I I hear people say this a lot, and and I know it can be who we are. There's so many bad things going on in our world today. Right? Don't you see it in the news? Don't you see it on your college campus? It's, It's so sad the way our world is getting dark. Well, my question is this. What are we going to do about it? What are you and I going to do about it? And, and that's why we call ourselves a lighthouse, because we, we want to be a light. If there's no light, then things are just going to get more dark. And so I want to encourage us to light the way for other people. They need to see us. And, and Jesus gave the guy who asked the greatest question, he gave him a two-for-one deal. He didn't ask what the next one was, but Jesus said, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the next one is. He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In fact, in another version, it says, all of the law is broken down into this. And so, what about people? And here's a question you got to ask yourself. Do they feel loved by you? People that you're reaching out to, people that you're trying to help? And that's a good question. Uh, You know, this past week, when we talk about being a light, we, we got to go out to uh, Mount Sac on Wednesday. 
they're having, uh, what is it, uh, Rush Week, right? I mean, you want to talk about chaos? Rush Week and a college campus. First week of school. There's more cars, people don't know where they're going, and it's just students everywhere. And I'm so proud of our campus ministry. I got to go there and be with them. They set up a table, and they had water bottles and granola bars, and we shared with hundreds of students that day. I mean, you just put something free out there for college students, and they're like, what? Yeah, I want some of that. And right after we did that, we had people sign up and give their, their cell phone number so we could send them information about what's happening. And then we had, a, we had a Bible discussion right there on the spot from all the people that we talked to. 17 students, guests, came and sat in on that Bible study that afternoon. And I think you guys were doing it every day this week, right? This past week, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they had a fun activity on Friday. How are students going to get out of darkness if there's no light? How are your neighbors going to see a light if you're not shining? And this is a verse here uh, that I want to show you, and we're going to wrap it up. Acts chapter 26. This is Paul sharing his own testimony, what Jesus said to him when he knocked him on the ground and blinded him for three days. Don't you want to know what Jesus said to him? He tells us. And then I asked, Paul asked the voice that blinded him, that knocked him on the ground, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. Why did Jesus stop Paul in his tracks? Because he wanted to use him as an instrument, as a witness. Verse 17, he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. How does this change happen? How do people get from blind to open eyes? And turn them from darkness to light. How do people get from one place to another if there's no one to light the way? Imagine if Paul didn't follow Jesus' direction. Imagine if Paul would have said, you know, I appreciate all that, Jesus, but I'm, I'm, I'm too scared. I'm too busy with my own life and my own priorities. Brothers and sisters, I, I want us to imagine Jesus saying this to us. That I want to use you to help people open their eyes. Do you know that people's eyes are shut? Do you know that they can't see what's what? And they don't even understand what life is really about? That their eyes are closed, they're blind? And, and do you know that people are living in darkness? How are the college students on Mount Sac, how are they going to find their way if there's no campus ministry? How are the high school ministries going to, how are the high school students going to find their way if there's no TBTs? And if, as a singles and the, the marrieds, how are people going to find their way if our groups 
are all about us. And we don't have time for anybody else because our lives are too busy. Will this happen? It won't happen. So please, if you're not going to do this, don't complain about how dark the world is. Okay? Don't, don't say, oh, it's so bad. The world is so bad. It's so sad. What are you going to do about it? Paul's got up and said, I'm going to do something about it. And God used him. And let's wrap it up. So that they may receive forgiveness of sin, what's the greatest need in our world today, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, when we celebrate a funeral, I I get to do funerals. There's two types of funerals that I get to do. Someone who I know is in a right relationship with God and someone I'm not certain. I don't judge. But I think there's a lot of uncertainty about where they stand with God by the way they've lived their life. I can tell you, I like doing the one with the people who I know how they stand with God by the way they live. I love to do those funerals because it's a celebration. It's a celebration. They've, they've gone on ahead, and they're in a good spot. They're, they're going to be with God, and they're, they're in a great standing with God. It's a party. We're going to miss them, but it's a party. And in and around our church, i gotta, I got to share this with you guys because uh, it, it's kind of sad. People aren't going to be around forever. You know, I had family reunion with my family. We had a family reunion with my wife's family. And we stayed at her mother-in-law's house. And Laura's father passed away in February of this past year, and we stayed at his house. There's, there's memories of him all over that house. And it was hard. Because we miss him. His wife... She's still grieving intensely. But you know what could take away the grief? Hope. Hope. Hope that we'll see him again. But if people aren't, if people aren't in the right relationship with God, there's a lot of uncertainty. And that makes the pain that much harder to bear. And you and I as a church, one of, our, one of our jobs as a church, as Jesus commissions us, is to help people to have a place, a place among those who are sanctified. That's why we share our faith, because we want people to have a place. We want them to know they're in a right relationship. And Jesus, he died, he gave his life as a ransom so that people could have a place. You know, when we love God, we need to love him passionately. And when we change, we need to change with everything. And, and, and we need to light the way for other people. People are watching. And you don't have to be perfect. You just have to share with them what God has done in your life. Man, he's done so much among us, hasn't he? Tell people about that. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and then we'll celebrate the communion. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, church, Jesus died to serve us, to serve you and me. Who are we that he would do that for us? Jesus gave his life for us. What are we going to do in return for him?
And you know what I think? Jesus, I want to love you with everything I have. And I want you to show me areas in my life that you don't feel loved by me. And Jesus, I, I, want, I want to keep changing. I want to keep growing. I want to keep on learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be in a closer relationship with you. I want to know what it means to be full of the Spirit and, and to be on the same plane with you, God, in a spiritual way. And you know what else, Jesus? I want to light the way for my friends, for my family, for my children, because I want them to have a place, and I want them to have the hope that I have. Let's pray for the communion. Father God, we thank you today for the reminder of the renewal that you want in our lives. Father, we beg you that today you'll forgive us for the ways that we have not loved you the way you want to be loved. Please help us, God. Reveal to us, every one of us, ways that we're not loving you the way you want to be loved. I pray also, God, that you'll please help us to take away all the excuses for not changing, for not growing, for not thriving. God, we want our lives to be the best that they can be, and thank you for providing us with the power to change. Father, we want to be a church that helps a lot of people get saved and stay saved. Father, we, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. Please use us as a church. We lift up Jesus right now. Thank you that he came to serve us and die for us and give his blood and his body for us. We do this communion. We take this communion in memory of him and what he's done for us. Forgive us, change us, and give us a new start. In Jesus' name, amen.